everybody. Welcome to Home on the RNG. My name is Russ. I'm Jeff. And that, that's Chris over there. Oh, hello. Chris is also in the room. Uh, today is one of our wrap-up video. <laughs> a wrap-up video? Are we doing a rap video? Oh, Are we going to make a rap video? A Home on the RNG rap video? Homies on the RNG. Yes! Today is our wrap-up episode talking about the last nine games that we've reviewed. In case you're curious, the games we're discussing today are Trails in the Sky 2, Persona 1, Secret of Mana, Thousand Arms, Romancing Saga 1, Dragon Quest 4, Seventh Saga, Sword of Hope 1, and Chrono Cross. As always, I've got the nice list of tropes that we'll go through, and then we're going to talk about some of the good and some of the bad that we've encountered along the way. We will start with the trope that we always start with. Priests save your souls and your game. Mm -hmm. And there's only one game that does this. Uh, This has become so much less prevalent since we started. Uh, Yes, because we've gotten through a lot of NES games at this point. And Super NES. So Dragon Quest IV is the only game where priests are the ones that save your game. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pass this sheet of paper around. Which is funny because some of them contain priests that have nothing to do with saving your game. Or your soul. Or your soul. Well, we don't know about that. They didn't save mine. Oh. Well, the seventh saga, if you die, then you have to go to the priest. And he's like, I can recall the spirit or whatever. And you're like, okay. Yeah. That's being nice to have that kind of power. But it's the inn where you save your game. Mm-hmm. Through the magic of sleep. <laughs> Our second trope is uh, opportunity to join the dark side. Um, this only happened technically once um, in the games that we played in Seventh Saga. And it's actually, it's a tactical decision to do it. Uh, it's at the end of a long dungeon and you're sneaking into a castle. And the enemy who has taken over the castle gives you the option to join him. If you say yes... You can walk out the castle, out the front door, save your game, rest at the inn, go back into the castle and kick his ass. Mm-hmm. Or just live out the rest of your days with <laughs> yeah. half the game finished. Right. Um, there are honorable mentions uh, in Trails in the Sky 2, which I'm going to bring up later um, in this little retrospective as well. But in Trails in the Sky 2, uh, Ouroboros gives Estelle the opportunity to join their organization. But Estelle is too bright but um oh god Ooh. she is too much of a good person she does not have any darkness in her that would let her join the ranks of ouroboros who aren't technically evil but they do a lot of bad stuff and they prefer to recruit broken people right they only recruit damaged people, people damaged yeah. people yeah another honorable mention in uh, chrono cross is that you yeah. do get uh, the opportunity to just not defy fate and lay down and die it's true and point. plus i mean with all the twists and turns of the plot like you become the bad guy yeah literally and figuratively mm-hmm. plenty of times <laughs> exactly ancient robots in a fantasy setting so we got trails in the sky too which i haven't played so y'all take that one <laughs> yeah I mean, I mean, that's yeah. a, yeah, Trails in the Sky 2 involves, um, there's ancient technology from over 1,200 years ago that is more advanced than current technology, and you have to fight archaisms, which that, are advanced robots. Yeah, that's that's what this trope is about, is this idea yeah. that's very common in fiction, but does not exist in our real world in any way, of an ancient civilization whose technology far surpassed anything we could understand today, and some of their stuff is still around. I mean, ancient civilizations in our world didn't have tiktok so this is what i'm saying yeah exactly 
Well, yeah, whether that's an improvement or not, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe TikTok is an ancient technology, and whoever invented TikTok just found they it. They found it. I mean, yeah. clocks do predate us, and they do go TikTok. <laughs> Secret of Mana is written here. Yeah, uh, Kilroy. Is Kilroy ancient? He's a robot in a oh, fantasy you setting. Mean, yeah, he's a robot in a fantasy mm. setting currently. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, one I don't see written down here, but is true, is Dragon Quest IV. Uh, there are robotic enemies in that game. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yep. I must have forgotten that one. That's okay. They're, uh, I mean, because Dragon Quest really... I know about the killer mechs, but I didn't. Yeah. Yeah. never really explained where they came from. They're just there. Yeah, they're robots. I didn't. I guess I forgot that they started in four. They're not I... like a part of the plot at all. They're just robots. They're just there. Suddenly show up. Funny enough, I've played through every Dragon Quest uh, up to eight, and I don't remember where anything starts in any of them because they're always so ubiquitous. But mm-hmm. I know that four has them because I think two has them even. And then we have the Seventh Saga, which has the Tetujins, mm-hmm. which, uh, yeah, one one NPC casually mentions that there's about 30 of them in the world, which is has no bearing on the story, and you meet about two. <laughs> which I guess is pretty good odds. If there's 30 of something in the world <laughs> right. and you've met two, you're doing pretty good. Especially if you are yourself one. Yep. So, uh, in, you know, Lux Tizer is indeed. And he's also uh, the only one to technically directly survive the events of Seventh Saga and end up in Mystic Arc, which is the spiritual sequel, but it does have a robot in it named Lux. Nice. nice. Yeah. So that's that's fun. Well, we Seventh will Saga experience that you. one day. Yep. It's um, on our I'll, list. I'll be here for the Mystic Arc episode. That would be great. <laughs> Because then I can talk about Akihiko Mori, R.I.P. Uh, but yeah, so that's Seventh Saga, and that's all that's written here. I cannot argue this list because I don't know these other games. That's right, you can't argue it. Oh, uh, Chrono Cross has uh, Gorbig, doesn't it? Grobic? Yeah, Grobic. Grobic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but it's also more of a steampunk civilization, although he still seems advanced beyond... Yeah. It's a fantasy setting. We'll, we'll mm-hmm. count it as an honorable mention at the very least. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about Grobic. I forgot it. Because there's so many characters. There are so many characters. <laughs> he is. He's close to the end. Yeah. And, and he's one of them that just kind of walks on screen and is like, "Hey, I'm Grobic." He's like, "You beat me in a and battle, therefore fight. I will join you." <laughs> exactly. Because you look like you could use more characters right. on your side. <laughs> but he's a black character. He is. He is a black yeah. robot. And um, I, funny enough, he's one of the ones I don't actually like as much. But he is very powerful. So it's mm-hmm. only personal. It's because he's no Robo. <laughs> he is no <laughs> Robo. Our next one is one that I don't think is ever going fully away. It's the final boss having multiple forms. Well, yeah, that's... I haven't even shown you my full power. <laughs> Dragon Quest Four, absolutely. Dragon Quest Four has seven forms. Yes. Seven forms. Uh, Trails in the Sky 2, Persona 1, Thousand Arms, and Romancing Saga 1. That's five out of nine games had bosses. I'm surprised when it's not nine out of nine, honestly. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Does, I guess Chrono Cross... It has multiple final bosses, but I guess yeah, not different but forms. N- but none of, of the them shift boss. right. Yeah. Yeah. Not too bad. And then we have surprise bosses. Um, only one surprise boss showed up here in Persona 1, um, unless you get the bad ending. In which case, there are no surprise bosses in this group. Uh, What's the definition of a surprise boss? So I like to use Final Fantasy IV as the example of surprise boss, where you spend almost the entire game going, oh, Golbez is the bad guy. Gotta get Golbez. Gotta get Golbez. And then right at the very end, it's, Oh, actually, it's Zemus. Oh, nope, sorry. It's actually Zeromus. There's oh, yeah. your end boss. Yeah. It's Final Fantasy IX and Necron. 
when you mm-hmm. get yeah you get to the very end and all of a sudden they swap the evil on you it's like no no i've built up the animosity towards I, so I, like six doesn't apply because it's kefka because we know it's kefka the whole time mm-hmm. yeah it well it, after the yeah. at the halfway point it's very clearly kefka and yeah. this is the closer to the end the more it applies to this trope i am going to argue that secret of mana you do not see coming that yeah okay because it does happen at the very end. Even though it's a character we know, we had no idea that... That's true. The Mana Beast. We, we heard about Mana, Mana Beast. We didn't flaming. know it was going to be flaming. We, we mm-hmm. did, Yeah, and we didn't know it was going to be like a current affair. We didn't know a Mana Beast was going to attack the tower. Yeah. We just knew who it's was true. in the tower and who we needed to defeat. Okay. So, yeah, I'll take that as a, as a surprise boss. Yeah. And, I mean, even then, it's like, <laughs> you know, we figured it might be Thanatos, but they were kind of building up this emperor that of the you know dark side or whatever mm-hmm. that and then he just ends up getting you know unceremoniously killed <laughs> and uh but then you know at that point it's not a surprise that you're gonna end up fighting Thanatos. he would have shown up in the five thousand hour version of it, secret of mana they were planning exactly Jeez. and uh but no yeah I, i'd say mana beast is more of a surprise than thanatos for sure all right silent protagonist this is another one that I don't think will ever fully go away. Yeah, this is. Um, so we've got Persona One. Yep. 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 Yeah, he's a silent <laughs> like, protagonist. He's si- we're all silent. Like a silent like protagonist, we got yeah. nothing to say. I will not add it. We we have Secret of Mana, which mm-hmm. actually he does have a few lines. He has, "Hey, wait up, guys." Oh well, then it becomes an honorable mention. True. Yeah, and because uh, we didn't count Chrono Trigger either, because he gets a line in one of the endings. Okay, yeah. So Secret of Mana, he does have lines. Sort of hope that I don't know. Yep, the hero never mm-hmm. speaks. Never speaks. Okay. Honorable mention is Seventh Saga, whichever character you choose is silent, but the others aren't. However, the character does narrate their own actions. Uh, like they will say, sometimes they'll say you, sometimes they'll say I. I see a bookshelf in front of me. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, but that could just that be could just be thoughts. yeah, it could be mind reading. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but yeah, your your character doesn't have dialogue, so that is for sure. Uh, Dragon Quest Four, your rotating main character is always silent, but when you encounter them as the real main hero, they talk to him. That's this is pretty it's typical. It's the same of thing. The, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, a pretty typical. When you control it, there's and it's the same thing for the next honorable mention too, which is Chrono Cross. Chrono Cross, yeah. Surge doesn't speak when you're Surge. Yeah, but then when you switch bodies, then he speaks way too much. Yeah, and then Lynx doesn't (laughs) speak when you're Lynx. In fact, ironically, Surge gives you the most text-heavy, heavy-handed, you know, just lore dump uh, (laughs) when you're about to fight the big computer lady. He's like, oh, by the way, here's the entire story up till now. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. like, just, just pours the story upon your you know, unabsorbent brain. Before you fight Liara to Sony, I'll go ahead and bring that up here. Sure. That I think fate, that all the Asari and Mass Effect are a ripoff of fate. Oh, yeah. From from Chrono Cross. Fate was one of the coolest early 3D models of a boss, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She had so many polygons and, like, so many animation tricks. so good for that. Yes. That was absolutely a... Which is why I think that Bioware just ripped off off that design to make the Asari. (laughs) I mean, whatever. It's it's out there, I guess. (laughs) A fight you're supposed to lose. I kind of hate these. As a storytelling gimmick, I get it. Because it's, it's an effective way to tell the story. But mechanically, I hate it because you will waste resources and time trying to win a fight that you cannot. They... 
I actually have a name for this, and it's a Beatrix fight. Because Final Fantasy IX, you fight Beatrix four different times, and every single time she uses Clem Hazard to weaken your party and, and end the fight. And you actually never fight her because she becomes a good guy after the fourth, you know, spoiler warning. <laughs> and, uh, and it's just, it happens so often and in such short, bur- like, short spaces of time between when you fight her that, yeah, I, I think that's the perfect personification mm-hmm. of that. Plus, you can, because you only have 10 rounds before she uses Clem Hazard, whether you, like, you know, are winning or losing, if you try to steal items from her, like, you only have that much time, so a lot of people, like, reset so they can steal the full set. And I remember that one of them is so funny because you can steal a sword from her for Steiner that you cannot equip on Steiner before you are able to purchase that same sword. <laughs> and it's the rarest honor, so it's it's like a point, it's like a one percent chance of getting it. And some people and have tried so it. hard, and then yeah, yeah, you can use it, but it's like then you just immediately have access to it. Yeah, it's so funny. So we encountered three of these Beatrix fights. Trails in the Sky 2, there is a solo boss fight that you lose if it, you take too long, but the story just goes on. It mm-hmm. does, the story does not care if you won or lost. Well, I would say in the Trail series as a whole, to me, I think they kind of do a good job about having those kind of fights, but you can win them. Yes, a lot of the supposed-to-lose fights yeah. in the Trails series, you have a chance Like, the to one win. that comes to my mind first is actually from Trails 1, when you fight Leon for the first time. You, It is extremely difficult near the end of that game, but you can win, and you get, like, a really good quartz or something. That's like what do Luffy win. does. And you get different mm-hmm. dialogue, where he's like, oh, man, he still escapes. Nice. But he's like, oh, man, you are strong. And I appreciate that about Trails. We also have Dragon Quest Four with the Marquise de Lion. The mm-hmm. first time you encounter him. No. Uh, and lastly, Chrono Cross. When you become Lynx, the battle against your former party yeah. is almost unwinnable. I even, in this remaster, turned on the cheat codes <laughs> so that I could not be hurt. And after this battle went on for 20 minutes, yeah. I was like, okay, I'm just going to... I did on going back through in a new game, I did finally beat it, but you are not supposed no. to. I loved that moment in the game because it's like you're getting a taste of your own medicine. Yeah. <laughs> like these are the these are the kids that come up and I'm, beat me up all the time. I'm going to uh I'm gonna throw an honorable mention to Seventh Saga because all the boss battles in it feel unwinnable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and in fact, the first proper boss battle is against uh Romus who is the ghost of a dog. Mm-hmm. And you're you kind can, of supposed to lose that. Yeah. yeah, you're kind of supposed to lose. You can win it. And in fact, the first time I played through, I did because I just had immunity to, to grind fatigue. I just grinded until I could beat him. And uh, also, I, I happen to be using a character that is naturally very powerful at the beginning of the game rather than later. Yeah, the idea is that you're supposed to lose, go get the whistle from a almost hidden away like house like nearby and then go back and kick his ass in one move with the whistle so that's yep. kind of that but also i just feel like every boss fight in seventh saga oh, is a scripted loss definitely <laughs> yes. that you have to overcome oh you gave me the what i hate i never do these in video games gambling mini games yeah the games that have gambling mini games which i never do so I we're just doing these in do. a random order so i didn't really assign it to you well it's just as karma much as it was on I your guess. turn yeah it's just karma um trails in the sky 2 has it 
basically all the Trails games have it. At least all of the second games in a duology <laughs> always have gambling. I really like the, the, it's not necessarily a gambling, but the mini game in three and four, the card game. It's basically mm. Magic the Gathering. See, I hated that. I didn't I do loved it. it. I did not do that game at all. And then in three, there's that point where you have to play and win. Mm-hmm. You have to play the game Not and a problem win. for me at all. And it took me like three. I had no cards, so I had to use, what's his name? The, the guest deck. Rudgers yeah. or whoever's own cards. And it took me like three tries to do it. And I hated it. Um but Trails in the Sky 2 and does have gambling indeed. Persona 1 has gambling. Thousand Arms. just Every dateable woman has her own yes, gambling minigame. Lord. Um, Dragon Quest always has gambling. Absolutely. Whole casino. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and Chrono Cross on the ship. On the, the Zelbus cruise the good ship. Good old Sneff. Mm-hmm. But that's also, also where you meet Jan- uh, Janice. Sneff <laughs> almost made my worst character. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, but Sneff's pretty bad. Sneff's awful. I don't think I've ever used Sneff. I don't even know what element he is. He's he's yellow, I think, and okay. it's just silly because he's also a parlor magician as well as Guile. It's just yeah. he's the, like, not cool version. Right. <laughs> he's the nerdy Guile. <laughs> yeah. And for our final topic. Only teenagers can save the world. Okay, we got Trails in the Sky 2 here. Yep. <laughs> y'all y'all got to talk Estelle about that. Estelle and Joshua are 16. Yep. Great. Mm-hmm. Persona 1, being high school characters, is kind of the point. So unless you're a, uh, you know, unless you're like that character in Better Off Dead, uh, Charles Lamar, <laughs> then you're not on your seventh year of high school. <laughs> Secret of Mana. Randy is 16. We're going with canon names. Uh, Thousand Arms. Mias is 16. Presumably the girls are roughly the same. Otherwise, some crimes are happening. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Romancing Saga 1. Several selectable characters are teenagers. Okay. Yeah, I I try to do research on the names and the ages. Sometimes it's easier than others, and there's so many characters in Romance. Yeah, some of them are yeah young. Uh, Mm -hmm. Dragon Quest Four main character is 17 or 18, depending on the version. The U.S. reduced his age by one year so that he can't smoke. Sword of Hope main character is coming of age. Can't recall exact age, but probably 16. That that tracks. Seventh Saga can't prove it, but you'd be surprised if at least one of the characters wasn't. I think Asuna is supposed to be young, but she's also an elf, so it might be she's young, so yeah. she's only 120 years old. Yeah, I could not find she canon looks ages like she's 16, but for she's Seventh Saga. 116. The most likely would be Camille Dewana because he's a he's just your typical knight uh, JRPG protagonist. He is very fashioned to be that way. We don't know what he looks like under the helmet. Um, All the characters in Seven Saga struck me as older. They seem mature, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, like, there's only a couple of humans, and one of them is Valsu, and he's clearly an oldster. Right. <laughs> like, I do like that the game does contain more very old people right. than, like, yes. young people. Yeah. Um, and then we don't know about Wilmy either, because how do aliens age? What are even their years? Mm-hmm. So, anyway. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Chrono Cross, uh, the list says here Surge is 17, Lena and Kid 16, Harley is 18, just as a few examples. We also have Marcy. Marcy is like nine. We have Van, who has to be like 10 or 12. Yeah. Uh, we've got Korcha, and those are the human, like... And Leah. And Leah. Leah Leah's like five or six. She is, she's She's little. Young. She's very little, but very strong. And with their big Dolly Parton hair, right. which is pretty great. <laughs> Um, I'm having trouble remembering if there's any other human children, yeah. but then the, the, 
the young non-humans are just rampant, like you literally hatch Draggy from an egg. Mm-hmm. Uh, Neo-Fio, I think you also kind of birth from something mm-hmm. or other. And Pip is, like, just recently created, maybe, like, a year old. Yeah. Um, and then we don't know about the turnip boy. <laughs> yeah. His mystery. I think his age might just be a que- question mark. Right. And Poshal. She's a, Poshal, do- she's she a, dog, a dog, but she's, like, A yeah. talking dog? A talking dog. A talking dog? <laughs> it's a sequel to A Talking Cat on Netflix. Oh, am I the only one who knew about that movie? I, I know uh, about a talking cat, but I am apparently. remaining silent. Okay, that's fair. All right, so now for the, the real discussion. Ooh. The worst character out of these nine games. I have kind of an odd one, because I picked Greco for reasons we just discussed oh, in mercy. the review. <laughs> nice. The idea of a psychic luchador exorcist is amazing. I want movies tv shows and video games about this guy (laughs) but because of the way chrono cross is made with all the characters you never get to actually learn anything about his adventures or anything he's done it's a wasted opportunity there are so many games on this particular list that fall under that same distinction so many characters so Mm -hmm. little backstory so russ who do you have for worst character well this one was difficult for me until you pointed it out, and then it seemed really obvious because I said any character from Thousand Arms. <laughs> and you said, well, what about the main character, Maze? And I'm like, well, of course, because his whole personality is that he's a horny teenage boy having possibly problematic relationships with all of these women. Because he has he to in order to recruits. fight evil. Exactly. Yeah, it's just, it's my, it is the thing that I hate in rpgs when it's like your whole personality is horny boy and every woman is in love with you so i didn't play all the games on this list so i only am able to select from games that i did play well uh i mean that that's a a, something i imposed on myself uh so i went ahead and went with korcha from chrono cross not only is he a terrible character to use in a fight he uses a fishing pole and he's like not strong or anything But he presents you with the worst choice in the game and tries to force you to do the bad choice, which is to get him in your party and to try and save Kid by, you know, committing, uh, you know, essentially genocide. Bringing about the, yeah. And and ecological atrocities Mm -hmm. uh, untold. And if you just ignore him, then his mom, who's way cooler, ends up joining you and you get Glenn. Yeah. And... (laughs) The dwarves and the hy- the Hydra get to live. He's terrible in the story for that reason, and also that he is one of the worst tropes in these kind of games, and that he is just a blanket, like, sanctimonious character. He's supposed to be this bratty kid, but then he ends up with, like, this just impenetrable moral system that makes it really irritating to, like, not do what he wants you to do, which, again, is the worst decision that you can make in this video game, yeah. so... Korcha, to me, for from many different directions, is the worst character in Chrono Cross and all these other games. So, best character. <laughs> I have Olivert from Trails in the Sky 2. Because in a genre-breaking... I don't know what word goes next in this sentence. <laughs> in a genre-breaking... Genre-breaking. In a genre-breaking decision, they decided to create a bard who was useful. 
<laughs> in a game. He is a bard with a gun. I was taking a drink of water when you were saying that, and it was an act of great restraint not to ruin your microphone by doing a spit take right there. <laughs> also, Russ is right across yeah, from he's me. He's a so. bard with a gun. And he, a he, gun. he alternates between being very annoying and actually being secretly very clever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he actually plays is a, very clever, yeah. and he pretends to be annoying. He he ends up playing a very substantial role in the series overall, and I love him as he's a character. He's also the best magic user. Yeah. And again, since he's got the gun, he's also a ranged attack exactly. user, because that matters in the Trails series. So He's fun. There's a reason that he has been in more Trails games than any other character in the series. Olive Art, Bard with a Gun. Mm-hmm. That's my best character out of this list. Yeah. Here known as Olivier. He, he's, it, well, Real he's, name, Olivert. He's Prince Olivert, but he disguises himself Olivier. as Olivier the Bard. Olivier Lenheim. Yeah, he is really good. Obviously, my best character also comes from Trails. Is it Estelle? And it's Estelle for the reason that I mentioned earlier when we were talking about joining the bad guys and joining the dark side. Estelle can't join the dark side because Estelle is just a happy, honest positive, cheerful person. So I, I like stories with depth and stories with characters and redemption arcs and all that stuff, but I feel like in the media of today, in contemporary times, it is very refreshing to have a positive protagonist, mm-hmm. to have a hero who's just she is not happy dark. and doing their best. She is not broody. Not she a tragic not, backstory. No, not, you know, like that. I my mean, her, best friend died when I was five and... It was my fault. Well, and it's like her mom did die, but she just she chooses happiness. moves forward yeah. and is grateful for the things that she has. And I love the the moment that cemented her as being one of my favorite game characters anyway is the moment in Trails 2 when she's like, I can't join Ouroboros because I am not a damaged person. Mm. I do not fit in with this group. And honestly, all of the Trails, well... Trails in the Sky 3 doesn't. But all of the Trails games mostly have positive protagonists. They do. By and large. Yeah. But Estelle is the most positive She's of the all mo- of them. She is definitely the most positive. I also like that this was a game from almost 20 years ago that used the girl as the protagonist instead of the boy. Because the secondary protagonist is Joshua. And I think other games would have made him the real main character and her like the her- the side heroine. And Trails did the opposite. They made her the main one and then him more of the sidekick. And they also gave her the more traditionally masculine personality characteristics. And they gave him the more feminine ones. Yeah, and I an like that. It, it was a very interesting choice. And especially for a game that came out originally in Japan in like 2003 or four. Chris? Like, my best character... The best character of, of all time of any game, but it happens to be a game that's on this list, is, of course, Dialuck from Secret <laughs> of Mana. <laughs> Dialuck is so good. He is so great and awesome. I wish you could meet him. <laughs> I, I can't wait until we actually finally run into Dialuck. It is going to be so great because Dialuck is just going to save the day with his brilliance and his charm and his strength. So what I'm referring to is actually a trope that I kind of am starting to like pin, you know, pinpoint myself in these RPGs, and I call it Prim Syndrome because of the character Prim in uh, Secret of Mana and her obsession with Dialuck. There's 
a thing in some RPGs where a female character, usually a pretty strong one, is utterly defined by a man who is not on the camera. You hardly ever get to meet him. Usually when you do meet him, he ends up being a bad guy and like, or he ends up sacrificing himself in some way so that he's taken out of the plot. Like you never get to see how great this character is. But given the stories that you hear about them, you're like, this has to be like just this greatest character. And I always felt that about Dylok, this unmeetable dude that you only see for like five seconds in Secret of Mana, who dies off camera <laughs> in the end of the game by nobly sacrificing himself in a way that the game decides just not to show you. <laughs> in the Secret of Mana remake especially, like she just goes on and on and on about this guy. And everybody's just hype about Dylok. And so I just decided to use my best character thing, despite there being a ton of great characters in a lot of these games. Like, none of them could be as great as Dylok. None Dialogue. of them could oh. ever be as mm -mm. great as Dylok. And I just can't wait till you all meet him, guys. Best game. For me, on this list, it's Dragon Quest IV. There is just something very comfortable. I, really, starting up Dragon Quest IV feels almost exactly like just sliding into a nice warm bath. It is comfortable, it is dependable, it is good, it is a solid experience. Uh, I don't have any negative things to say about Dragon Quest IV, really. Now everyone's picturing you in the bath playing <laughs> Dragon Quest IV. So. That's Everybody's the just... only way I play it. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite should be of no surprise to anyone, mm -hmm. um, Trails in the Sky 2. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I love... No, I can't. No, Chrono Cross is on this list. Yeah, I was going to say, you did, when you didn't say Chrono you've Cross, I was left surprised. Me, you've left me... Why don't you just meet in the middle and say Thousand Arms? In a state <laughs> of... So here's... Okay. So, well, it has to be Chrono Cross. But I still want to say... I still want to talk about Trails in the Sky 2. I think that's the point, is I want to talk about that game more. Because Sky 2 is the game that told... It wasn't Sky 1, it was Sky 2 that totally pushed me into, like, the Trails fandom that I have now. Because Trails 1 sets up a lot of good stuff, and then all of the payoff happens in Trails 2. And Trails 2 is such, like, a bigger game, and the story becomes so much bigger, um, despite having to walk around and repair orbital phones um, <laughs> across the country. Overall, Trails 2, I liked even more than Trails 1. And so, yeah, it really, really pushed me into the fan base for this game. But I, I had written down Trails 2 and not even realized that we covered Chrono, Chrono Cross, Cross in this thing. So, yeah, Chrono Cross is my actual answer, but... Trails 2 is your runner-up. Yeah, you can't put two games this good in a list of nine games. I think you'll without, find that I can. Without making my head explode. I, I ran into the same problem. I have I was actually going to give it a tie between Chrono Cross and Dragon Quest IV. Neither is my favorite game, but they're both like exquisite for different reasons. Um, so since y'all already talked about them, I'm just going to give it to Seventh Saga then. Because <laughs> I've always been the like... The Dark Horse. I've yeah. always been like the outspoken like unapologetic fan of seventh saga. And I think that it's a great game that kind of teaches you about that. Sometimes you can't just do the comfortable thing and grind your way out of a situation or let the game like take care of you. Like it's, it keeps you so on your toes that, but if it resonates with you, then that is actually part of the charm. Uh, I'm actually playing through it right now with a, with an easy patch installed that, just rebalances the game back to basically where it was with the original Japanese release, Elnard. Which is how I played it for the review. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and 
I'm like, this is also good, but I'm going way too fast. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> one night I'm already in, uh, you know, in, in uh, Pell or whatever it is. So I'm like, uh, you know, just on the second continent, basically. So yeah, I I really love the Seventh Saga. I'm not gonna rank it above Chrono Cross or Dragon Quest Four. It's only because y'all already picked those. This was overall too good of a list of games. I feel. Well, let's talk about the ones that weren't too good. Because for my worst game, I have Romancing Saga One. Oh, boy. there were in the review <laughs> I mentioned it. There are two things that prevented me from being able to even enjoy trying to play this game. It made playing the game so filled with anxiety for me that I just I couldn't. It was, first of all, there's no main storyline. Mm-hmm. There's a thousand quests available to you, but they aren't specific to you, uh, with the exception of tiny little tweaks here and there for specific characters. Mm-hmm. A thousand quests and no main storyline, coupled with the decision to make random combats what advances the, the world clock, so to speak, and locks you out of content. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I am playing a JRPG where I am afraid to get into combat because I will not be able to experience all of the game. Which they didn't include anyway because there's no main quest. Right. (laughs) Yeah. The main quest thing is the solution to decision paralysis for when you, you know, the world opens up. You can go anywhere. You can do anything. What do you do? Uh, Having a main quest. You did a real good Tina Belcher right there. (laughs) Having a main quest. Let's gives you something to hold on to when you're unsure, and that's gone. And then the world, cl- I like the idea of a world clock. That's a neat mm-hmm. concept, but tying it to random battles was a horrible idea. I'll say that I, I understand. I disagree, but I understand. And I hated this game the first time I played it without a guide, and then loved it the second time I played it with a guide. That's the thing. In order to play it, I have I would have to fanatically follow a guide. Mm-hmm. And at that point, why am I playing this? I'll just watch somebody else play it. I get it. How about you, Russ? Mine, it, like I said, for me, this was too good of a set of games that we played. Um, the only two out of this whole list of nine that I actually didn't like were Thousand Arms and Sword of Hope. Um, and I ultimately gave my worst game to Thousand Arms just because it's just a dating sim. I hated the horny protagonist. If Thousand Arms I... had been half as long, it would have been twice as good. <laughs> <laughs> and it wore out its welcome. I didn't like, which I talked about in our review when we did that, <clears throat> is that it was trying to be like anime the game. So the battles took way too long. They tried to do all of these like anime looking character animations to do all of these super attacks and everything that just took a really long time. Um, There were too many characters for the fact that you're kind of only using one in battle at any given time. And it just so the gameplay wasn't fun. The story wasn't fun. I didn't like the characters. It was very tropey in all of the worst ways, according to me. Yeah, this was the worst experience that I had playing any of these games. Didn't finish it. Again, I I cannot speak for all the games because I didn't play all of them. Uh, I haven't played Trails in the Sky 2, Persona 1, Thousand Arms, or... No, I played all the rest. So I can't nominate any of those. So by default, my option, because I think all these games are great, has to go to Romancing Saga 1 as well. Only because it's a SNES RPG, which technically I can't hate any SNES RPG. I know this because I actually enjoy Tecmo Secret of the Stars. Uh, me too. Controversial opinion, good. but I, me too. 
It's got a villain in it called Bad Bad. (laughs) (laughs) And Cat Boo. Cat Boo. I love Cat Boo. Cat Boo's great. Uh, So yeah, like, that's charming. Romancing Saga 1, I just, like, was confused going in. Um, Hearing more about it, I'm even more confused. And so I haven't played it a whole lot, but that's because when I did play it, it just didn't grab me. So um, I can't say that I hate it, but I can say of the games on this list that I have played, all of which are favorites except Sword of Hope 1, which is just kind of a middling game that I respect in certain ways, Like I, I just kind of have to give it to Romancing Saga 1. So there you go. Poor Romancing Saga 1. <laughs> Best boss fight. For me, it's the end boss of Dragon Quest 4, Sorrow the Manslayer. Going through all seven of his forms... With the enemy literally falling apart in front of you as you beat him and then mutating and rebuilding in front of you as you fight him, you reach a point where you're not sure which form is the last form, how many more do I have to go, and I got the... the when I played it for the review, I happened upon the perfect in-boss thing where like I was throwing everything I had at it. Oh God, we're out of healing magic now. All right, now we're out of healing items. All right, everybody just hit until you drop. Hit until you drop. Everybody's dead but the hero. All right, it's just you and me. Blows back and forth. You're going to kill me on the next turn, but oh, you're dead. (laughs) Won it by the barest margin possible, which is always just such a great feeling when that desperation pays off. So those two things coupled together made it the best boss fight for me i didn't say that because i figured that's what we would all say (laughs) so i tried to do something different couldn't really come up with anything the chrono cross final boss is interesting but not in a good way i mean of a a game that (laughs) i love so much i admit that like that's not a good game so i didn't pick like a final boss fight i picked um and this is going to be very me Um, I picked in Trails in the Sky 2, there's an optional boss that you can fight, the big sheep. Oh, yes. And the big sheep, you fight um, kind of pretty early game. I would say like late early game. Um, And you go to the hot spring town Mm -hmm. and... They repeat this in Cold Steel, I believe. They do, yeah. And the... But Trails in the Sky 2 did it first. And the girls are enjoying a hot spring bath and then they think that they're being peeped on by some gentleman or something, and it turns out that there are these sheep, which are like regular enemies in the in the Trails games, lurking in the bushes, and so they follow them out to fight them, and then all of the sheep pile onto each other, kind of like a slime becoming a king slime, <laughs> and they become a giant sheep, um, and you have to fight the giant sheep, and I just thought it was funny and clever. It reminded me of the king slime, um, the sheep, I've always enjoyed the sheep enemies in, in Trails games anyway, and their bad touch mm-hmm. attack. Uh, <laughs> so oh, it was just, I think it was the most memorable boss fight. Fair enough. And I, I didn't realize until we start, sat down to record this review, when I created the best boss fight category, it does not say best end boss fight. I always no, it interpreted doesn't. it that way. But that's not what it says, so rules is written. Go with what you want. Yeah, uh, so I selected as the best one, I think, if we're going with best final boss fight, then I would say also Dragon Quest Four. But because that was already said, I'm going to go ahead and nominate two fights from Secret of Mana. Uh, one of them is 
the frost guy gets fight because you're literally fighting evil Santa Claus. <laughs> sure. <laughs> turned yeah. evil because people stop believing in him. Right. And uh, that's just such a, that just really sticks with you. Especially in this game that otherwise isn't that whimsical. I mean, it is whimsical, but it's like Santa Claus. Yeah. What the it, hell? The whimsy goes up real fast and then goes and back then down again. back down. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's a, not even a bell curve of whimsy. It's it is a spike. A, it's a spike of whimsy. Exactly correct. Uh, and I will say, for the fact that it wasn't my favorite to do so much, I have a lot of respect for the way that the final boss fight in Secret of Mana use, utilizes Mode 7. I also like that it requires you to cast things in order, like in order for your hero to be able to do damage to the thing. And so you kind of have to like... You have to manage your party a little bit differently, whereas, and then, you know, that's coming right off of the uh, the climactic battle with you know Thanatos, who of course does his little transformation. And, and I like that his... you said climactic instead of climatic. I like that you got it right. Oh, thank you. People screw that up a lot. Oh, I see. <laughs> yeah, Library. But... I'm not like Russ. Sometimes I give genuine compliments. Oh, okay. Well, thank you. All of mine are backhanded. But, uh, but yeah, coming off of that, that also musically, coming off of that spooky-ass Thanatos battle theme with, like, the the constant just irritating scratches in the song, and then getting into Meridian Dance, which is the, uh, the prog-tastic theme for the final, final mm-hmm. boss fight. I mean, it really makes you feel, like, epic as AF, so... I think Secret of Mana is my nomination there. And our last category is the most surprising game. This one is a wild card, because it can mean good or bad. It's just something that... uh, Which game stood out to you the most, but you haven't had a chance to talk about it in this video? This is not a video. But you haven't (laughs) had a chance to talk about it in this video. I mean, we are making that rap video. We'll include it in the rap video. Mm -hmm. So, for me, Seventh Saga was the runner-up because it did a lot of new things, but the winner was Sword of Hope, which also tried a lot of new things, <laughs> and they didn't work. A very busy visual style for the smallest possible screen. A complex password system for a mobile game, and an absurdly massive difficulty spike in the final dungeons, including run-of-the-mill enemies that are basically undefeatable. From the second I turned on this game and experienced an hour-long prologue (laughs) to when the game started up and I saw what the visual style was to when uh, I cast my first spell and it killed me, (laughs) everything about this game surprised me. And none of it was what I came to expect from a JRPG. So uh, it is the most surprising game for me. I did not enjoy it. Mine... There was really only one game I could pick for this, and it's also something I did not enjoy. <laughs> the only games of these that I had not played before were Thousand Arms and Sword of Hope 1, but I had played Sword of Hope 2, so I kind of knew what I was getting into there. So I picked Thousand Arms. Um, it was also surprising in the uh, amount that I did not like it. If I'm not mistaken, this was a recommendation from Rachel? It was, based on her vague memories of playing it as okay. a teenager. Well, and when I heard, so when I heard that, I thought, oh, maybe there's something more to Thousand Arms. I had heard of it before, but I didn't really know anything about it. So I thought maybe there's more to this game um, than what I think. And it turned out to just be a dating sim with a really bad combat. Um, so I was, uh, I was, I was disappointed, so to speak. I will say, 
I liked the look of the combat in Thousand Arms. But that's all it was. My yes. my argument is that Thousand Arms thought it would be really cool to have this combat combat system that made you look like you were playing an anime, but they didn't put any other it, thought into it than that. I liked the combat system for about two three hours and then i was for like two or three fights and then i was like (laughs) i've seen this and i don't need to play a you know 40 hour rpg or whatever to experience more of it all right chris bring us home well you would think that it would be chrono cross because chrono cross has a plot twist a a new like crazy thing happening like every beat of the story but because of that you kind of don't end up being surprised by anything. Everything from, like, talking to ghost child versions of, like, the protagonists of Chrono Trigger <laughs> shortly before getting your ass kicked by your girlfriend's dad yeah. who has been frozen in time, <laughs> you know, just before, you know, uh, or just after switching bodies with, like, what you think is the main antagonist and all that kind of, uh, you know, like, it, so much happens that you're just kind of like... You're looking forward to it, and therefore you're not actually surprised. It's a roller coaster of a convoluted plot. So therefore, I'm going to pick up where Jeff almost picked up and say Seventh Saga. Um, Seventh Saga surprised me because it came out among a glut of SNES RPGs. I mean, 1994 through five through six, like was just the it was endless Christmas for for those of us who were in the 16-bit era and enjoyed RPGs. And, you know, I remembered renting this along with Paladin's Quest basically at the same time. And, uh, like, Seventh Saga did surprise me because it's it was just so bonkers hard. <laughs> and it surprised me that I, I super enjoy it. Like, I really, really love this game. Like, you know, there's, I wouldn't take away even the difficulty of it. It surprised me how much, well, maybe it doesn't surprise me now, but how much other people, like, kind of hate it and have been trying to, like, fix it or, like, explain away that, you know, you know, why it's difficult. Like, nobody has, like, the actual correct story. They're just, they just kind of put their theories out there as facts. And then it has a, it does have a twist in it, a really big twist that you are not expecting, both in the final act of the game and the actual ending. Both of those are just completely twist you around in ways that you are not expecting because the story is so minimal up to this point that you're just kind of enjoying the world and like kind of going on your, your, what you think is a single-minded quest. And then they're just like, nope, boom, there you go. And you're like, holy shit, my head is spinning. And, um, yeah, and then just different things like a guy called Dr. Fail invents a robot that's supposed to protect from a force of evil, and then that robot goes haywire and you have to fight it. Like, big surprise. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was the hugest surprise of all. So, yeah, Seventh Saga is a game that looks like it's one thing on the outside, and you get inside and it's a whole different thing, and then you keep playing it, and then it's a whole other different thing, and nothing is broadcast. Like, nothing is predicted in that game so whereas chrono cross is a is a cavalcade of just you know plot twists and and weirdness it's like seventh saga at least pretends to be normal at first and then it throws the bazonker stuff at you like when you least expect it so this is i think technically this is our 51st episode because we had an episode zero where we talked about the what the concept of the series Mm -hmm. was but we have not yet played our 50th game because we do these wrap-up uh, episodes right. every 10 episodes but it does mean our 50th game is coming it soon it is coming up 
join us next time where we go back to talking about games and we talk about Suikoden. I can't wait. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Home on the RNG is a presentation of Mad Centaur Productions. You can find Jeff on YouTube at youtube.com slash centaurproductions or on Twitter at Jeff Centaur. You can find Russ on Twitter at russmac 25 You can find Chris on Twitch at twitch.tv slash liarexaggerate or on Twitter at enrichflavor. Thank you for listening and remember to save your game before powering off this podcast.